0: I was jolted from my drowsiness. Years ago, before we had children, Claire and I were in Florida visiting family, and we were preparing to return to North Mississippi. I was in seminary, Claire was in pharmacy school, and Claire had school starting the next day. Well, we had a little bit of car trouble, got that fixed, but we left later than we intended, and we planned to drive all through the night back to Olive Branch, where we were living at the time. And in the middle of the night, early in the morning, we were on I-65, headed north towards Birmingham, coming into that city. Hardly anybody else on the road. Claire was sound asleep beside me, and I was drowsy. You know that awful feeling when you're driving and you're tired, and my, my eyes felt heavy, and I was just trying to push on a little bit further and I kind of looked up for a moment, and, and just right in front of me, in the middle of the interstate, I was in the center lane, there was a huge deer. It, it was the biggest deer I've ever seen with my own eyes. Huge horns, I don't know why I never see a deer like that when I'm hunting, but on the end inter- I mean huge deer. And I hit the brakes and had to swerve, the deer was just standing there, he wasn't running at all. And Claire woke, woke up, and can I tell you, I was jolted from my drowsiness. I was wide awake at that point. The adrenaline was running through my body, and I didn't have any trouble staying awake from that point on. We know sometimes when we are spiritually drowsy, we need something to jolt us, to wake us up so we can be alert the way that God intends us to be. So that we can live for His glory. And I want to talk to you today about spiritual drowsiness. And I want to share with you the idea that God wants us to be wide awake. Keeping that in mind, turn with me to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16, we are continuing our study by looking at seven... Blessings scattered throughout the book of Revelation. This morning we're in Revelation chapter 16, verse 15. The title of my sermon today is, Blessed is the one who stays awake. In the sermon. That's not, no, I just added the end the sermon part. But it wouldn't hurt. If you're physically able this morning, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Revelation chapter 16, verse 15. The Bible says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and seen exposed. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we proclaim in this moment, as we have already in song, that you are holy. You are a God of absolute moral perfection. You are light and there is no darkness in you at all. And you are a God that is wholly unique, separate, beyond us. There is none like you. And to think that we can know you in a personal way because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. To think that our sins are washed away in the blood of the Lamb. To think that Jesus rose from the grave and defeated death so that we can have eternal life and we can know you forever is an awesome thought. So we thank you today for who you are and what you've done to redeem us. And now I pray that you would give us the grace to stay awake, spiritually speaking. To be ready, to be on guard, to be alert, to live the life you've called us to live in these days. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. Lord, establish my steps in your word and we ask and pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The book of Revelation was written... Late in the first century AD, probably around 95 AD, it was written by the Apostle John. John was on a barren prison island called Patmos, and while he was on that island, God gave him a series of four visions that he wanted him to record. Now, the first verse of this book says that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the word. Revelation in the Greek language is apocalypsis. It means unveiling. This is an unveiling of some things that that the Lord wanted John to know so he could send it to the seven churches in Asia Minor so they could know it. And these things God also wants us to know. And scattered throughout this unveiling of these four visions are seven blessings that are admonitions for how we ought to live, and also promises, things we ought to believe that spur us on to live the way that God wants us to live. And we are walking through those blessings one at a time. And we've come to Revelation 16, 15, Blessed is the one who stays awake. Now, in order to preach this verse from its context, I want to kind of back up for a moment and again, look at the book of Revelation from a big picture perspective. I believe... That the outline for this book is found in Revelation chapter 1 verse 19 when that verse mentions the things that you have seen, the things that are, and the things that take place after this. That's what the Lord said to John he was going to unveil for him. The things that you have seen speak of chapter 1 when John sees this exalted vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those that are speak of chapters 2 and 3 where Jesus has specific messages for seven specific churches in 1st century Asia Minor. But most of this book deals with those things that take place after this, which entails chapters 4 through 22. So just kind of very quickly, what happens in chapters 4 through 22? Well, in chapters 4 and 5, we see this vision of Jesus in the throne room of heaven. In the midst of unceasing worship, and in the midst of that worship, he receives a scroll. And he's the only one worthy to open the scroll. In chapter 6 through 8, we see that Jesus begins to open the scroll's seven seals. And the opening of these seals are an unveiling of of something that is to come in the future. In chapter 7, there is an interlude that highlights the sealing of the 144,000 and the multitude from every nation around the throne. In other words... Uh, the Lord wants to see the the relationship between God's people and the unfolding events of the Book of Revelation. And then in chapters eight through eleven, we see that there are angels blowing seven trumpets of wrath. And then there's another interlude, chapters twelve through fourteen, where we just see the the big picture of the cosmic conflict between Christ and Satan, which sets Revelation in its proper context. And then in chapters fifteen to sixteen, we see there are seven bowls of God's final wrath poured out upon the earth. And then there's a great battle mentioned in chapters 17 through 19 between evil and good, evil and Christ. And then in chapter 20, we see the millennial reign of Christ described and the great white throne of judgment. Then in chapters 21 and 22, we see a description of the new heavens and the new earth, our eternal home if we know Christ. Now, most of the book of Revelation deals with, I believe, future events, things that are to come, things that have not happened yet, but they will be events that usher in the end times. And much of this book deals with that. As a matter of fact, chapters 6 through 16 deal with a period of time known as the Great Tribulation. In the future, there's coming a time where there will be great tribulation that's never been seen on this earth before. There will be... uh, Uh, There will be great evil that God allows for time during that period, and there will be a pouring out of God's judgment and wrath during that time. So the Great Tribulation, the time described roughly in chapter 6 through 16, is a time that is yet to come. Now let me just give you a quick word about what the Great Tribulation is going to entail. You need to understand what the Bible says about this period of time. First of all, we see that there are seven trumpets... Uh, that are blown by the angels in heaven, starting there in chapter 8. These seven trumpets speak of restrained judgments. God is judging, but it's not his full wrath yet. It's a, a restrained judgment. So let me give you an example of the seven trumpets. Trumpet number one, there will be hail, fire, and blood cast upon the land. A third of the earth, trees, and grass will be burned up. Can you imagine? Trumpet number two. Something like a burning mountain will be cast into the sea. A third of the sea will become blood, a third of the sea animals will die, and a third of the ships will be destroyed. That's in chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. Trumpet 3, there will be burning stars falling on rivers and springs. A third of the rivers and springs will become bitter, and many will die from drinking them. Trumpet 4, there will be a third of the sun, the moon, and the stars uh, they will be darkened, there will be darkness over the land because a third of all of those heavenly bodies will be darkened. Trumpet 5, there will be a great swarm of harmful locusts that invade the earth. Trumpet number 6, a great invasion of an army from the east. One third of mankind will be killed. Trumpet 7, the kingdom of the world becomes at that moment the kingdom of God which anticipates a great final cosmic conflict between the Lord and Satan. Those are the seven trumpets that the angels blow. And guess what? That's not the worst part of it. There's something coming after that during the Great Tribulation called the seven bowls of God's wrath. These bowls speak of the unrestrained comprehensive wrath of God. So the, the, the seven trumpets were, were partial judgments. These are full judgments from God upon the earth. And there are seven. The first bowl speaks of sores on the worshippers of the Antichrist. Painful sores, the Bible says in chapter 16, verse 2. The second bowl speaks of blood in the sea. Every living thing in the sea dies. The third bowl, rivers and springs become blood. The fourth bowl, scorching heat from the sun that none can escape. The fifth bowl, utter darkness, pain, and sores. The sixth bowl, a mighty gathering for battle on the plain called uh, Megiddo. And here's the seventh bowl. A great earthquake and 100-pound hailstones fall. Those will be the, the comprehensive unrestrained Wrath of God poured out upon humanity before Christ returns. What we call the second coming. It will be a time of great destruction. A time of great suffering. A time of great pain. And the verse that we just read was inserted right between the sixth and the seventh bowl. As a matter of fact, look what it says in Revelation 16. Verse 14, it says, They are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. And so we see from studying Revelation there will be a satanic trinity. Satan, the Antichrist, and a false prophet. They will rally the kings. They will rally the world's armies to assemble against the Lord. And then in verse 16 it says, They assemble them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon, And then in verses 17 through 21, there's the seventh bowl poured out. So right in the middle of the comprehensive wrath of God, there's this interlude, verse 15, that says, Christians, stay awake. Be on the alert. Now, to understand this verse, we need to, we need to think about three foundational statements. Let me give these to you, and then I want to give you three thoughts about spiritual drowsiness, which this, this passage addresses. Three foundational statements. First of all, in the midst of graphic descriptions of the great tribulation, Christians are called to stay awake. I just showed you that. Between the sixth and the seventh bowl of God's wrath, Christians are called to stay awake. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on. Here's the second foundational statement. The end times events that include the great tribulation, the second coming of Christ, all of that, The end times events will be totally unexpected by many. Verse 15 says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. You don't expect a thief to break into your house. As a matter of fact, thieves are successful because they are unexpected. If they were expected, you would be able to stop them and catch them and prepare for them. But thieves uh, make their living on being unexpected. And, And Jesus says that the end time scenario that will culminate in my return, will be like a thief. You you won't expect it. Many will not expect the things that are going to transpire will come upon them suddenly. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to show you another passage that speaks of this. This is the Apostle Paul. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now in chapter 4 he speaks of the resurrection of Christians, the, the ones who are still alive on the earth, will be caught up to Christ in the air, which speaks of the rapture, then a great reunion in heaven. And it says in chapter 5 of First Thessalonians, Now concerning the times and the seasons, in other words, when all of this is going to happen, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So he's saying, listen... You don't know what's going to happen. You just need to be ready because a lot of people are going to be are going to not expect what's going to happen. Now, he uses the phrase there, the day of the Lord, and the day of the Lord is a phrase that's used in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It's a phrase I believe that speaks of the entire end time scenario from the tribulation to the second coming, to the millennial reign of Christ, to final judgment. I believe all of that is encapsulated in the day of the Lord because the prophets, Joel and other Old Testament prophets say, the day of the Lord will be a day of great destruction for those that do not know Christ and a day of great deliverance for those that do know the Lord. So the day of the Lord is the end times. Some will be destroyed, some will be delivered. And he's saying here, this end-time scenario, the entire thing, you don't know when it's going to start. You don't know when it's coming. It's going to be like a thief. It'll be unexpected by many. So these end-time events will take many by surprise. But here's the third foundational statement I want you to see. People that are unprepared will be put to shame. Revelation 16, 15 says... Behold, I am coming like a thief, blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. That picture of keeping your garments on is a picture of honor. And not having your garments on when these events unfold will be shameful. He's saying if you are caught unexpected for the end times, you will experience great shame in that moment. So be ready. Don't be caught with your garments off. You need to be clothed and ready and looking for these events. So those are three foundational statements. Now let me give you three thoughts about spiritual drowsiness to kind of unpack this idea of staying awake that we're commanded to do in Revelation 16 and 15. I want to talk to you about the causes of spiritual drowsiness. Then I want to talk to you about the characteristics of spiritual drowsiness, then I want to give you the cure for spiritual drowsiness. Number one, what are the causes of spiritual drowsiness? Number one, spiritual, listen, carelessness. Now, Jesus in Matthew 25 gives us some parables about being ready. Matthew 24, he speaks of the tribulation. He speaks of his return. And then in Matthew 25, he shares some parables to illustrate what it looks like to be ready and what it looks like to be unprepared for the end times. So look what it says in Matthew 25, verse 1. Then Jesus says, "...the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise." For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. They all... The parable of these ten virgins uh, pictures a wedding party. And these ten virgins are are there to celebrate with the bride and the bridegroom, to attend the bride, friends of the bride. But they're not ready when the bridegroom returns and the celebration ensues. And we see here a picture of spiritual carelessness. It says there in verse 3, The foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took their oil with them. In other words, the the wise had extra oil for their lamp to keep it burning for an extended amount of time. They were ready for whenever the bridegroom would return. But these foolish virgins were not ready. They didn't take enough oil with them. This speaks, I believe, of spiritual carelessness. Not preparing yourself for what lies ahead. And a lot of people are are spiritually drowsy because they are spiritually careless. This applies to non-Christians and Christians alike. I remember one time I was speaking to a, a gentleman and we engaged in a spiritual conversation. And I said, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? And here's what he said. I don't know, I've never really thought about it. Now, now think about that statement. I've never thought about where I'll spend eternity. Think about that. Every one of us is going to die if Christ tarries. And when we die, our souls will go somewhere forever. Heaven, if we know Christ. Hell, if we do not. And to think that there are are thousands upon thousands all around us that are living their lives and never giving a thought to their eternal destiny. That's careless. It's careless to not think about what will happen to you after you die, to, to put it out of your mind, to, to deaden the thought of it with, with life. The pursuit of your own Happiness. Non-Christians, many non-Christians are not giving any thought to their eternal destiny. That's careless. That's like not having enough oil for your lamp. And there are Christians who never give thought to what's ahead. They never live their lives or not living their lives in the light of eternity thinking about how their life is going to matter in the here and now because life is short, and to think about how they can make an eternal difference in this world with the life God has given. They're they're just kind of living life, not, not caring about the things of Christ. Spiritually careless. It's like not having enough oil in your lamp. And so many people are spiritually drowsy because they're just careless. They do not give attention to the things that God has revealed in His Word. Secondly, Another cause of spiritual drowsiness is the delay of Christ's return. Look what it says in Matthew 25, verse 5. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and what? Slept. Why were they drowsy? Why were they sleeping? The delay of the return of Christ. Now you might ask the question, Wade, the Bible speaks so much of the return of Christ. It, It gives us such... Uh, detailed information about end times events and the end times scenario. When's it going to happen? And you need to understand, Christians have been asking that question for hundreds of years. And non-Christians have been scoffing at God's word saying, when's he coming back? Now this is not a new thing. As a matter of fact, turn to 2 Peter with me. 2 Peter, very quickly. Chapter 3 Peter addresses this issue. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 4 They will say scoffers verse 3 they will say where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the father fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So there are scoffers that are looking at Christians in the first century saying, Ha! You said your king, your savior, your messiah was returning. Where is he? Things are continuing on just like they always have. And they were scoffing at the thought that Christ might return. But look what Peter says about this in verse 5. For they deliberately, I love that, deliberately, think about that, deliberately overlook this fact. That the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by the means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, a thousand years as one day. You say, wait, it's been 2,000 years since Christ was on the earth. 2,000 years since he came and died on the cross and rose from the grave and ascended to the Father. Where is he? Can I just remind you that 2,000 years aren't much to God? God sees the events of time from an eternal perspective. And the Bible reminds us of this, that with the Lord a day is like a 1,000 years. a 1,000 years is like a day. But look what it says in verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But is. watch this, Here it is, patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What is Peter saying? He's saying that God hasn't forgotten his promise. God is exercising merciful patience. So why hasn't Christ come back in 2,000 years? Because God is merciful and wants more and more to repent and be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We see God's mercy, His patience on display in the fact that the return of Christ has not happened yet. But listen, one day His patience will come to an end. One day, God's going to say, it's time. And the events, the terrifying events of the book of Revelation will begin to unfold. And the sad reality is, many will not be ready. Because they scoff at the delay in Christ's return. They think he had not come back in 2,000 years. He's probably never going to come back. And they live their lives spiritually unprepared. Listen, don't let the merciful patience of God fool you. One day all of this stuff is going to happen. Christ will return. There will be a day of the Lord. Deliverance for God's people. Destruction for those who do not know Jesus. Spiritual carelessness, the delay of Christ's return, speak of the causes of spiritual drowsiness. Let me give you the characteristics of spiritual drowsiness. Wait, what does it look like if you're spiritually drowsy? Matter of fact, you may be here this morning and say, am I spiritually drowsy? Let me give you three characteristics that help you to evaluate your own life. Here's the first characteristic, inactivity. Inactivity. Look back with me in Matthew 25, another parable from Jesus that speaks of being spiritually alert, awake, ready. Look what he says in Matthew 25, verse 36. Let's back up to verse 14. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave how many talents? How many? Five. To another he gave how many? To another how many? One. To each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents, went at once, and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So, he also, so also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Notice here that when the master entrusts one of his servants a talent, the servant does nothing with it. He just buries it and does nothing in the service of his lord. He does nothing with the resources that God has given. The master has given him, and this is a picture of spiritual inactivity. How do you know today if you're drowsy? Question. What are you doing with the resources God has entrusted to you? What are you doing with that heart that beats in your chest? What are you doing with those lungs that breathe? What are you doing with that brain that thinks? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your treasures? What are you doing with your talents? What are you doing with the Word of God that the Lord has given you to be a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path? What are you doing with the great gift of prayer whereby we can call on the name of the Lord and ask Him to do great and mighty things? What are you doing in the the life of the body of Christ, the church, called to serve Him and make His name known to the very ends of the earth? What are you doing with all that God has done for you? just buried it and just lived in activity how do you know if you're spiritually drowsy are you doing anything for jesus i didn't ask if you're doing anything we're all busy i'm asking you have you done anything for jesus lately are you serving him one of the sure ways you know you're drowsy is if you are living in spiritual inactivity here's a second way you know a second characteristic inattention to holiness Inattention to holiness. Look what it says over in Romans 13. The Bible has so much to say about spiritual drowsiness. Look in Romans 13 with me. Romans chapter 13. Look what it says in verse 11. Powerful verses here. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Wade, when, is all of, when are all of these events going to happen? The day of the Lord. The, the, the day of deliverance for believers and destruction for unbelievers. When's all this going to unfold? Well, I don't know. Christ didn't know when he was on this earth. But I know that we're one day closer than we were yesterday. Right? Right? And look what it says. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. He said it's time for you to wake from your sleep. Don't involve yourselves in the sins of this world. In other words, there's a a, a direct connection between drowsiness and inattention to holiness. And one of the ways you know that you are drowsy is if you are not giving attention to the way you live your life. What you think about, what you watch... How you talk, the actions you perform. If you are living a life of unholiness, if your life looks just like the world, it means that you're drowsy and it's time for you to wake up. It's time for you to wake up. Third, the third characteristic of spiritual drowsiness is inward focus. Turn to Matthew 24. Again, Jesus speaks of this. Matthew chapter 24. I know I have you turning a lot this morning, but there's so much in the Bible about spiritual drowsiness. Look in Matthew 24, verse 36. Here it is. Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two will be in the field. One will be taken. One will be left. Two men will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken. One will be left. Therefore, stay awake. There it is. Stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. He says... That before the end times events unfold, people will be just like in the days of Noah. God was about to send a great flood on the earth. And instead of preparing themselves for the judgment of God, instead of seeking God's face and repenting and being right with Him, they were just living life. Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, just living life, socializing. Totally ignoring the things of God and guess what it's just like that today our society is filled with drowsy people that are just living life and the living of their life has dulled them to the things of God and they're so focused on themselves they're missing what life's all about and they are not ready so, one of the ways you know that you're spiritually drowsy is when there's this, this major focus on you. When it's all about you and your life and what you're doing and your activities, and, and you give no, th- no, no thought to the things of God. But let me close on an encouraging note. We've talked about the, the causes of spiritual drowsiness, we've talked about the, the, the characteristics of spiritual drowsiness, but third, I want to talk to you about the cure for spiritual drowsiness. I almost used the word caffeine, the caffeine for spiritual drowsiness. I want to answer this question just very quickly. How do you stay awake? What does it mean to be awake? What does it look like to be alert? How do we obey the blessing found in Revelation 16, 15? Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on. How can we live like that and receive that blessing? Here it is, number one, put on gospel armor. Put on gospel armor. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 with me. Second time we've been in this passage, but it's, it's so vital. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look what it says in verse 2. You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. You shouldn't be surprised, he's saying, if you are followers of Christ. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on, listen, the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God is not destined us for wrath, but to obtain obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is he saying? Here's how you live in readiness. Put on gospel armor. Notice he mentions the breastplate of faith and love, a, a helmet of the hope of salvation. What's he talking about there? He's talking about knowing Christ. You're saved when you place your faith in Christ who died for your sins and rose from the grave. That you trust His finished work to save you. You don't trust yourself, you trust in what Jesus did for you. And then you, you have that helmet of salvation that protects you from the mortal blows of the enemy. This, I believe, speaks of the gospel We put on our armor as we believe and live in the power and realities of the gospel. Let me say it again. We put on our armor as we believe and live in the power and realities of the gospel. In other words, listen, if you want to be awake, if you want to be ready, be saved. Be saved. Don't delay. Be saved. You know, the idea that people are just living life and giving no thought to eternity... reminds me of how foolish it would be if you were on the Titanic. And the Titanic is sinking rapidly. And instead of getting in the lifeboat, you're simply arranging the deck chairs. How foolish would that be? That you're straightening up the deck when the the boat's going down. You need to find a lifeboat, right? Right? And to live your life with no thought of eternity, no thought of Jesus, no thought of the gospel, no thought of where you will go when you die is to arrange the deck chairs while the ship's going down. You're living your life, but you haven't gotten in the lifeboat. And there's only one way to be saved from the wrath to come. The Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can forgive you of your sins and and reconcile you with a holy God. He's the only one that can save your soul. And so today, as we think about revelation, great tribulation, and, and second coming, and all of these events, be ready, be saved. That's how you wake up from the slumber this world wants you to live in. Secondly, what's the cure for spiritual drowsiness? Fix your eyes on Jesus. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the way that you stay awake is by keeping your eyes firmly fixed on him. Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible says, verse 1, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, running a race is totally opposite from sitting on the sidelines, right? It's hard to be drowsy when you're running, right? Right? And so he says, Let us run with endurance the race that is before us. Fixing our eyes on who? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the way that you keep running, the way that you stay away from spiritual drowsiness, the way that you keep moving forward in your Christian life is by firmly fixing your eyes on Christ. He will encourage you. He will guide you. He will help you. He will inspire you. He will bless you. He'll be all that you need. To live a life for the glory of God. To keep running the race. So fix your eyes upon Jesus. A.W. Pink writes, Spiritual sleepiness is best prevented by our faith being engaged with a person and perfection of, of Christ. It is not monastic retirement, nor the relinquishment of our lawful connection with the world, but the fixing of our minds and affections upon the transcendent excellency of the Savior which will most effectually preserve us from being hypnotized by the baits of Satan. A believing and adoring view of him who is fairer than the children of men will dim the luster of the most attractive objects in this world. In other words, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. If you want to live spiritually alert, keep your eyes on Jesus. And the things of this world will just lose their luster. One more thing if you want to be spiritually alert, walk in the light. Walk in the light. Turn to Ephesians 6. This will be the last passage I have you turn to. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. Look what it says in verse 6. I'm sorry, Ephesians 5 verse 6. Ephesians 5 verse 6. Now that you're a believer in Christ, you're in the light. Why in the world would you go and play in the dark? Why would you do that? Notice what he says, that these these deeds of darkness are unfruitful. Did you know that sin never delivers on its promise? Sin always promises that it's going to make you happy. That that it's going to fulfill you. But it never delivers. It's unfruitful. Look what it says there in your notes. Deeds of darkness bring brokenness and destruction. That's what what sin does. It breaks. It destroys. So listen, when the end comes, by death or the return of Christ, we want to be found living in holiness and faithfulness. In other words when Christ calls you home or if Christ should return before he calls you home, don't you want to be found living a faithful life? Not with with your garments off, ashamed by what Christ finds you doing, but living in holiness and faithfulness. Why would children of the light want to dabble in darkness? If you want to stay awake, walk in the light. And these things... Put on gospel armor, be saved. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Live in holiness and faithfulness. Avoid the darkness. These things are like spiritual caffeine. How many are coffee drinkers? I love it. I drank coffee pretty regularly. My pastoral ministry, when Frank got here, it, he upped it a lot. If you're around Frank, you're gonna drink a lot of coffee. Caffeine, it wakes us up, right? And these things are like spiritual caffeine that wake you from your spiritual slumber. And so my question for you this morning is this. Are you alert? Are you spiritually awake? Or are you living in the lethargy of spiritual drowsiness? It's time for us to wake up.